The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound on with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. USMCA Day and Impeachment Day plus economists don't see really much any U.S. growth bump from the U.S.-China trade deal. We're dealing with all of the impacts of trade week here in Washington, D.C., and of course, that impeachment trial. Fresh reaction tonight from Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. It was a historic day on Capitol Hill. Basically, in one hour, the, the perfect illustration of where we are politically as a nation, as you have a vote on USMCA, the most significant trade deal that Congress has advanced, a bipartisan trade agreement with the United States, Mexico, and Canada occurring before noon, and then virtually minutes later, the impeachment trial against President Donald Trump starting. And that's where we're going to begin tonight, with that impeachment trial. Uh, and I, I, I want to, to play for folks what House Speaker Nancy Pelosi had to say, because there were some new developments overnight and into this morning. The nonpartisan Government Accountability Office says that the Office of Management and Budget broke the law when it withheld more than $200 million in Ukraine military aid. So Speaker Pelosi had quite a lot to say about this, and that's what was, where we will start today. Here's the Speaker of the House. This is just another avoiding of the facts and the truth on their part. They don't want to see documents. They don't want to hear from eyewitnesses. Uh, they, don't want to, they want to ignore anything new that comes up. That was Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. Siraj Hashmi's here. It's his first time on Bloomberg Radio's Sound On. He's a conservative writer for the Washington Examiner. Kevin Walling's here as well, Democratic strategist at HG Creative Media. Siraj, we're going to hear from uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn coming up, a Republican from Tennessee. This development with the GAO and OMB didn't really move the needle much at all in terms of the Republicans that I spoke with today up on Capitol Hill, and, and the White House barely blinked. I think what they're pointing to right now is that they're – the GAO might be nonpartisan, but they're looking at whoever was appointed by it. And it, I think Lee Zeldin has accused the GAO of being run by a Democrat. And so that they came to this conclusion in light of the Senate trial to tr try to, uh, you know, put a stain on at least how this Republican caucus is handling the Senate trial because they're just putting maximum pressure 
on trying to get witnesses forward. Yeah, no, I, I agree with uh, Siraj and his, po- his point in terms of the, the focus on witnesses. You know, the GAO uh, ruling, uh, it's an eight-page uh, ruling that came out today. Chris Van Hollen from Maryland requested the GAO to investigate this. It's a nonpartisan body. No one really cares. Uh, folks don't know what the GAO does is uh, who's on it and so what it means. it's a nothing means. burger. So it's a talking point, right? Because but it's any, a nothing burger in terms of It's a nothing burger in terms of moving the needle. And the, the reason needle. I want to move quickly through it is because, again, no Republicans are saying, oh, bomb shell, this is going to change the trajectory of the Nothing trial. will change them. And unless unless that happens, you know, nothing to see here. The market's barely moved on this. The, the None of the exchanges are blinking. They're not mm-hmm. even tra- – traders aren't even moving off of any of these developments from OMB, from GAO, from any of the developments. You know what they are trading on? USMCA. But – where this does matter from a scheduling standpoint is these 2020 presidential candidates. And look, Senator Bernie Sanders, by the way, I mean, I, before I even get to that, that hot mic thing. Oh, man. The, the handshake list. that wasn't? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> We're going to talk about that with Greta Van Susteren coming up. Can't I, wait. i got to get her take on that. But anyway, he's not going to be able to be in Iowa. Neither is Liz Warren, and neither is uh, Amy Klobuchar. Or, take a listen to Or what, Michael Bennett. Or poor Michael, Michael Bennett. Bennett. I forgot about Michael Bennett. <laughs> That's, his problem. Kev, That's his I'm problem. Gonna, I'm going to own it. But listen, um, take a listen to Bernie Sanders because he's not too happy about this. Here's Bernie. I would rather be in Iowa today. There's a caucus there in two and a half weeks. Uh, I'd rather be in New Hampshire um, and in Nevada and so forth. Uh, but I swore a constitutional oath. Interestingly enough, I was originally on the fence about what the whole strategy was in terms of Pelosi delaying sending the articles of impeachment to the Senate. But now that I'm hearing more from Bernie Sanders, hearing from these other senators and their frustration with the delay, it almost seems like Pelosi's strategy was to try to throw off Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren in the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. I mean, I'm at at like 80-10 and believing that. You know, I, there's still there's still some belief that maybe it, it was to try to you know force Mitch McConnell's hand, but at the same time she's thinking about retaining the House and her down ballot races, and I think she I think she believes that Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren will hurt the ticket. Sure, I mean I, I would agree with that. You look at all the the uh, folks that have uh, endorsed in this race that have flipped these Republican districts held. Uh, in uh, that were Trump districts in in 2016 to 2018, most of them have come out if they've come out at all in favor of of Joe Biden. I don't think there's malicious intent in terms of the speaker. You look at the calendar; it was always going to be a January hearing. Uh, the Senate gaveled back in for the year last Tuesday, so it was delayed a week, um, and they were always going to be off the trail. You know, folks are saying it's going to be a two week, three week trial, so that was always going to be in the lead up to Iowa. Unfortunately, for these three serious contenders uh, for the nomination, of course, Michael Bennett too, running for Colorado. Um, but uh, but I don't think there's anything nefarious in terms of this, this speaker's timeline. All right. In terms of just scheduling and where this goes from here, President Trump has a deadline to respond to the charges. So he's got to respond by 6 p.m. Eastern on Saturday, according to the schedule that was adopted by the Senate at the end of Thursday's session. And the House has until 5 p.m. Saturday to file a trial brief. So there's going to be more developments there. And then Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer uh, he's going to try to force a vote on whether or not 
to be able to get witnesses, but it looks like this issue of witnesses, Kevin Walling, is, is moving nowhere. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think the, the burden is really on these seven. I shouldn't say moving nowhere. It's, it's, it's not going to be success. The Democrats' attempts is not going to be successful. I, I, I disagree on that uh, because I think we have to let this process play out. Uh, the, the burden is really going to be on these seven House managers that the Speaker has, has appointed. They're the best of the best. And um, Adam Schiff, like him or, or not, is really effective in terms of not just getting under the president's skin, but really uh, uh, doing yeoman's work when it comes to prosecuting this case. Uh, so if they make a really compelling case in the well of the Senate, uh, and uh, Democrats are out there, I'm out there talking every day about the need for witnesses, the fact that we've had 15 uh, impeachment hearings in the Senate before all 15 of these hearings had witnesses, had documents uh, that were subpoenaed. Uh, I think people are, are, are waking up to the fact that uh, a trial without witnesses uh, is, a, is a sham trial. All right, we got to hear from Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell about those pens that Speaker Pelosi sound, or signed I guess signed the, the impeachment articles with here, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Opposed afterwards for smiling photos. And the Speaker distributed souvenir pens, souvenir pens to her own colleagues emblazoned with her golden signature that literally came in on silver platters. That was Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell speaking about the pens coming up. Much more on trade policy, USMCA. Suraj Hashmi stays, Kevin Walling stays. I'll stay too. Kevin Cirilli, you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Enormous day on USMCA, the United States-Mexico-Canada Trade Agreement, uh, that advanced out of the Senate, and now it will go to President Trump, where he's likely going to sign it. This was one of President Trump's key trade policies. It comes, of course, less than a day after the president inked that deal with China in the Phase 1 trade deal. I spoke with several Republicans uh, on Capitol Hill uh, following this vote, and coming up we'll hear from Senator Marsha Blackburn, and they were incredibly happy that this issue is is settled now with the USMCA. Siraj Hashmi's here. He's a conservative writer for the Washington Examiner. Kevin Walling returns, Democratic strategist at HG Creative Media. Kevin, just in terms of what is exactly is in this deal, it's going to... Uh, create more of a trade balance with the United States and Mexico. It's also going to change some of the regulations as it relates to auto manufacturing uh, that that a lot of these states, Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, they're very happy about. Tennessee, a lot of the heartland states are very happy about. I, I, I was, the politically speaking, to see Amy Klobuchar and Bernie Sanders, or to see Amy Klobuchar and Elizabeth Warren support this and Bernie Sanders oppose this, was quite striking. Yeah, it was. It's uh, you know there were ten senators that voted against uh, all uh, nine Democrats and and one Republican actually Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania. Be interested to get his perspective because Pennsylvania, as you noted, uh, should stand to benefit. It's an auto manufacturing uh, state. Uh, I think one of the, the greatest things to come out of this bipartisan deal is the enforcement mechanisms uh, in Mexico, so that we can crack down on. Uh, factory farms that don't pay a living wage uh, in that country. There, there are a lot of things to celebrate about this deal. I commend the president. I commend Speaker Pelosi uh, for pushing hard for these environmental pro- protections, for these labor standards. Uh, it's a win all around. Well, 
do you think? I mean, who should it have passed? Yeah, absolutely. I, right. I mean, I, I'm I, I'm with the uh, I'm with the uh, the camp that that voted overwhelmingly in the Senate and and in the House uh, with the Democrats right. to to pass this. And you look at some of the the names that voted against it: Cory Booker, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, Kamala Harris. Interestingly enough, of course, Sanders that we talked about. Uh, but interestingly enough, too, Kev, uh, the the Democratic leader Chuck Schumer also voted against that. Uh, yeah, so I'd be I interested he to hear Speaker Pelosi. Yeah, I'd be interested to hear his perspective on this too. Of course, it was such a busy news day, so we really didn't get a readout really on USMCA from these senators just yet. But I'd be interested to see why why they pushed back so hard. I mean, just from an economic uncertainty perspective, the USMCA is projected, according to analysts, to add 0.35 percent to GDP after six years. You know, but that said, coupled with the China trade deal from yesterday, it's going to relieve a lot of that economic uncertainty, Siraj. Just quickly, in terms of what you're hearing from uh, from Republicans, what are they saying about the USMCA? Quickly. Obviously, they're a big fan of the USMCA. I don't think there's any doubt that they're going to get it passed. It's always been the focus that we get something done on China. And the first phase of that trade deal, I think, is a bigger win. Uh, to get that signed over the USMCA at the moment. All right. Well, earlier today on Bloomberg Television, I spoke with Senator Marsha Blackburn. She's a Republican from Tennessee, one of the driving forces behind the deal. Take a listen to what she told me. What it means for Tennessee is increased trade, whether you're talking about agriculture products, pork, uh, whether you're talking about auto manufacturing and automobiles and aftermarket auto parts. Uh, when you talk about intellectual property protections for our music industry, all of these are things that are going to affect the state. And we're so glad the USMCA is across the finish line and on its way to the president's desk. I'm struck by the juxtaposition of the U.S.-China phase one trade deal happening literally less than 24 hours before USMCA. That's two significant trade victories and for, for the administration. And I, I'm, I'm curious where the trade fight goes next. You, uh, what I think you're going to see is immediately beginning work on phase two of the China trade deal. The China deal was so important. Our soy producers uh, were so, uh, they were so focused on this. Then you look at individuals that are in the export industry with polysilicon and chemicals and things of that nature. There were provisions that they needed. So now strengthening those intellectual property protections on our entertainment products and then also looking at ways to bring that trade more into balance. That's phase two. Also, bear in mind, Japan went into effect January 1st. USMCA will be signed today. China signed yesterday. The UK with Brexit, we will need to construct a deal with them and a new deal with the EU. And I, I think that those are the things that will be next. I want to get to Phil Hogan and the EU in a second, but just sticking with China Phase 2, there seems to be non bipartisan consensus on the issue of 5G, on the issue of Huawei, yes. and on national security. Do we have a timetable in terms of when Phase 2 might happen before or after the election? Well, when we are dealing with Huawei and with the 5G deployment and with the utilization of uh, equipment, for delivery of 5G and the consumer product that Huawei makes. What we are dealing with there is great power competition when it comes to China because their 
their commercial side and their military side are basically one and the same. We know that. We understand that. Our allies know and understand that. So finalizing this issue with Huawei where we disallow this because we know that they are going to embed that malware and spyware into that equipment, we can't have that into our operating systems. Phil Hogan was here, the Europe's trade yes. chief, uh, earlier this week. What do you want to see from Europe? Uh, what we would like to see from them is availability of markets. Our uh, producers and manufacturers all say, give us trade, uh, that is what we want, give us a level playing field. And when it comes to Europe, what we would like to see is a level playing field. We know that there are products of ours that they need. I think also when we talk about energy as an export product, when we look at that European market, when we know that there are some of these countries that would like to break a dependence on Russia, not do business with Iran, we feel like that's an area of growth for us. One of the things the markets want to know, just final question for you, on the issue of impeachment is how long is this trial going to last? When, when will it be over with? The Senate is going to move fairly and expeditiously through this process. A couple of weeks or one week? I, mean I think a couple of weeks. I didn't ask her about the Tennessee Titans. I just, I just realized that. That was Senator Marsha Blackburn, a Republican from Tennessee, speaking with me earlier on Bloomberg Television. You can check out that full interview at BloombergTV.com. Coming up, Greta Van Susteren. How would she change the debate structure if she was moderating? We ask her next. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I think you called me a liar on national TV. I think you called me a liar on national TV. Let's not do it right now. You want to have that discussion, we'll have that discussion. You called me a liar. You told me. All right, let's not do it now. <laughs> wow. Hot mic caught it. Senator Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders speaking after that Democratic presidential debate in Des Moines the other night, and CNN, they were still mic'd up, and then they had this exchange over whether or not Bernie said in that meeting that a woman couldn't be president, and yeah, wow. Greta Van Susteren's on the phone line. Greta, I want to talk about your Washington Post op-ed, but I mean, I got to get you to weigh in on this moment. What was, what you know, do you make? I, <laughs> oh my God, they're human. <laughs> They're human. They get angry. They get mad. All I and what I, here's another uh, shocker. Or as we as I used to say, Fox News alert uh, <laughs> is that campaigns really get people all fussed up. <laughs> Look, you know, I I think it's you know it's interesting, but you know it's like. I, I have some sympathy for them since I've been known to lose my temper in the past. So I live in a glass house, so whatever. You know, I get it, but I mean, it really is fascinating to see how much this has totally rocked the race. And I'm curious, if you do you think that they're going to have to somehow address this? We're going to have to hear from them at some point because this well, maybe, is all anyone's maybe, talking about. 
maybe President Obama could, you know, summon a beer summit. Wow. <laughs> you know, and, and handle it. I don't I mean, think I don't think they summit? want Obama to, to be the moderator. I think they would need, I don't know, maybe I don't I don't even know. Maybe AOC. Maybe AOC could do the beer summit, Greta. I know. I you know, I look, you know, tempers just get so raw in this time. I mean, it's like I, I thought it was it was interesting and I felt bad for them. I, I saw them as human. Um and you know, it's I I, I feel, you know, it's it, I don't think it'll change anyone's vote, so they don't have to worry. All right. Well, you have a really great op-ed out in the Washington Post. It was just posted, and I was I was talking about this with you uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I want to quote from it, and then I want you to break it down for, for our audience. Okay. You say, quote, If I were a debate moderator three days in advance, I would supply the candidates with a series of identical fact-based problem scenarios. These scenarios would relate to real issues facing the United States, such as health care, infrastructure, Iran, North Korea, climate change, or cyber warfare, and then candidates would consider how to respond to the scenario. So... I think this is interesting, Greta, because you're digging into your law school chops and your lawyer chops, and you're essentially saying, hey, this is an exam, and it's an exam for the, in front of the entire nation. Yeah, well, first of all, what I propose is basically a take-home exam. But think about this. The bar exam is one of the most ridiculous things that you ever have to take as a lawyer because I practiced law for 12 years, and not once in all those 12 years did a client ever come into my office and say, uh, here's my problem. Go into a closet. You've got three hours. Don't come out until you have the answer. Make sure you don't consult anybody or look at a text or a statute. Okay, that's essentially what the debates are. Because, but, but what happened? But the job, the actual job of the president in the Oval Office is when he's confronted with a problem or she's confronted with a problem, that you consult your advisors, you think about it, you debate back and forth within the Oval Office, and then you come out and you have a solution. And it may take hours. I mean, it's thought. It's not, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like having a driver's test for a cardiologist. I mean, we're testing someone. We're testing these people on the stage for a job they're not trying to get. They're trying to become president. And that test, the debate format we have, doesn't test that. My idea, though, does test it because it, it gives them a problem in advance, identical problems, and they can come in and they can solve it. It also does one other thing. It prevents, the way I want to do it, it prevents people from trying to give you the moon. For instance, saying, look, everybody gets free college. And I mean, that's a, I mean, everybody would love free college, but the question, is it ever going to happen or is it practical? So if a candidate came in and said, I'm going to have free college for everybody, by the way, Bernie doesn't quite go that expansive. I'm not picking on him. But let's say free college for everybody. Well, the question of the moderator would be how much, who's going to pay for it, how do you get it past a divided Senate and a divided House and Senate, um, you know, and, and, and show that some of these things you sometimes get sold the moon and they're not going to happen. They're not practical. And so mine actually gets to test the, the actual things that, that maybe they can get done. And maybe they can do. And I just think we've got to change the whole process because we have these debates don't tell us whether they can be president or not. And Republicans or Democrats. Greta Van Sessions on the line. She's the anchor of Great TV's Full Court Press and Voice of America's Plugged In. She, of course, obviously has worked at Fox News for years as well prior to that. And just quickly, you've been so generous with your time. So I'll ask you one more question. The reason I like this, Greta, is because I believe that most folks who are watching the debate, they're hungry for policy. They're hungry for details. They don't want to be promised, you know, sound bites and tweets and on social media oh, or, viral or moments. How about, how, how about graphics with countdown clocks and right. boxing gloves and all that stuff? No, I mean, it's a, it's a far more serious decision. But, you know, the problem is, is that, and this is not the candidate's fault. This is not anybody's fault. But, but you're, you know, you really want to test someone on the job. 
And 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 the thing is, the, the job is one where you think, you consult, and you you know, and you give it some time. It's not just sort of you've got sixty seconds to solve the problems of North Korea that's been going on for thirty years. I mean, that's ridiculous. Exactly. All right. Greta Van Susteren, again, she's got that new show out, Great TV's Full Court Press, and she, of course, now is at Voice of America as well, Unplugged In. Greta, my friend, thank you so much for calling in, and check out her op-ed. I and I'll see you out. Sunday, and, and I have a great guest on Sunday, Kevin Cerilli, Full Court Press. <laughs> Thanks, Greta. All right, I'll talk to you then. Uh, panel's here listening to that, Kevin Walling, Democratic strategist, and uh, Siraj Hashmi, uh, conservative writer at Washington Examiner. Uh what do you guys think of that? You think the rules should be changed for the debate, Suraj? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the DNC has been unfair to a lot of the candidates. Uh, I have, uh, and the RNC, in fairness, has been to other candidates in previous cycles as well. Yeah, but I will say this: Marianne Williamson got shafted. I, I totally agree shafted. with you. And uh, we stand the Orb Queen. And I think <laughs> one of the things that uh, about Greta's uh, take on this whole tiff between Bernie and Elizabeth Warren is that I actually do think it will hurt them. And I think in addition to the the bitterness between the two sides now that's sort of growing is only going to fester and hurt the Democratic Party uh, come the general election. Kevin Walling, what about changing some of the debate structure? Because there's so much pressure, uh, especially during a presidential debate, with body language, with where they're sitting. I mean, the, the amount of effort and time that goes in to these debates, I mean, it's it's enormous. Yeah, I, Kev, I agree with you and with Greta, and, and and to a certain degree, Siraj's point. You know, I'd love to see the debates more substantive. You know, the, you know, no president is responding to a crisis with a seventy-five uh, second response. Uh, so I'd love to see. It. You know, you I, you know, watching the debate uh, on Tuesday, you know, no, none of the moderators really pressed. You know, Senator Sanders on Medicare for all, and, and Senator Warren on Medicare for all. What are the pay for?s You know, how much is this actually going to cost? Joe Biden was saying, you know, it's upwards of $30, $40 trillion. Now, um, and, and, and I want to dive into those issues a, a, into a, a larger degree uh, than what can happen on uh, on the current debate stage. Now, here's what I will say, though. I mean, when so many candidates are running for president, it is difficult to, to be able to, to dive into specifics. And it's not like a debate is the only opportunity for voters and undecided voters to learn about these candidates. you got to do a little homework. Right. But I think what sure. I like about Greta Van Susteren's idea in her Washington Post op-ed is that she's saying, what if the debates were more structured with topics? What if there was an opportunity— Similar to, to how they are in the general election, when one's right, on foreign policy and so, one's on— But even more so, but in terms of saying specifically— here is the scenario. You got to file something that's going to give folks some opportunities to dive into the details. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes less so about, again, like I said, the body language where they're sitting, the height, and all of that. And, and folks, I will tell you, based upon my reporting, I can tell you this. You talk to the deba folks at the debate commission, you talk to the campaign, you talk to anyone who has advised any candidate who has been running for president and has participated in a debate, it's theater. And they're all prepped for how to act, how to perform, what to wear, how much makeup, what, whether or not there's a stool, whether or not they're sweating, when to go to the restroom, all of that. And we make light of it a lot of times, but it is so incredibly crucial. And if you don't believe me, all you have to do is check Twitter. All you have to do is open up your social feed, which has now become whatever it used to be. Everyone gets out their popcorn. Now everybody gets out their cell phone in order to it's follow along yeah. at home. All right, coming up, 
We're going to pivot back to policy, and we're going to have a little fun as well. It's what's on the panel's radar. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio. My panelists tonight, Kevin Walling, Democratic Strategist at HG Creative Media, Siraj Hashmi. He's a conservative writer for the Washington Examiner. Siraj, Tell us, we were talking about, you grew up in Pakistan and where else? Hartford, Connecticut. Hartford, Connecticut. <laughs> very, so Two very similar places. Very similar places. So, and then you went to Dickinson yeah. and uh, found you were going to be a doctor. I wanted to go to medical school, yes. And then you were like, no, I want to be a journalist. Yeah, originally sports. I wanted to be a sports journalist. and then um, Same. Yeah, and then in, uh, I think 2014, around the midterm elections, the... Uh, the, the demand became for politics. And I already had a pretty familiar grasp on politics. Uh, my family is very liberal. My wife is actually very conservative. Um, I am more moderate, even though I work for the Washington Examiner. And uh, it just so happens that this has uh, been a good fit for me. All right. Sounds so, like a nice family. <laughs> so I will tell you this fun, fun little fact. When I was right out of college, right before the Jerry Sandusky trial, when I covered it, I, I freelanced for the Philadelphia Wings for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Oh, wow. And I had to, to write about the Philadelphia Wings, which is an indoor lacrosse Amazing. team. Yeah. So that was my The my MLL? Only, yeah. That was my only <laughs> foray into- I played lacrosse in high school. Into so, sports yeah, yeah. journalism. <laughs> I was like, nah, what about the Eagles, guys? Uh, <laughs> um, anyway- uh, okay, so now it's time for we do this thing, Siraj. It's your first time on the program where we, we talk about what's on the panel's radar and you tell us about something that you know maybe has flown under the radar. Kevin Walling, I'll start with you. What is on your radar? Uh, I was always on my radar screen. We're 18 days out from the caucuses. Uh, one of the interesting things, and of course, the caucus is run by the Democratic Party of Iowa, interestingly enough, and the Republican on the, on the other side. Um, for the first time in the history of the caucus, in addition to obviously you know reporting on who wins the caucus, uh, they're also going to release the raw vote total. So as you know, precinct by precinct, there's a viability question. So if a candidate does not get over 15% uh, on that first ballot, their supporters have to go to some other candidate. So it becomes a really raucous environment. And it's always in a high school gym or a church or some large venue. And there's a lot of persuasion that goes on to get folks to your side. So I think it'll be interesting in the idea that we might have two winners, perceived winners coming out of Iowa, whoever gets the raw vote total Why? on the first. Because, you know, if... You know, for example, Bernie Sanders, uh, you know, uh, wins the raw vote total, but is not viable in some of the precincts, and those folks go elsewhere. He might not win the Iowa caucus on the on the at the end of the night, but he may have won, you know, perceivably um, on on that first ballot, if that makes sense. Okay, but there's only one winner. There's only one winner in terms of what the media will report, but at, going into it, if someone wins the total votes, the vote total going into that night. I think that they can make the case to the media that they they in fact won the caucus. I don't know. I think I think to 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 like the chattering class, yes. 
to to the pundits, yes, but to most Americans who are tuning in to the networks and listening to Bloomberg Radio Sound on, they will <laughs> they will. There, there's only one winner, and I, that that's why I don't buy that we're headed for a brokered convention. Because I, I don't remember, think so either. Because I, I remember either. in the last cycle, all of this chatter about Ted Cruz and the Southern Firewall, and and no one's going to want Donald Trump Ted to be Cru- the nominees. Wait, yeah. and then ultimately you get. You know, we yes, it is an incredibly complex process, but it's to, to, to voters, it's an incredibly simple one. Whoever gets the most votes wins. Kev. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I, I'm just saying what's on my radar screen is this new <laughs> technical issue with the Iowa caucuses that's brand new to the talking heads like us that yeah. will be dis- no, uh, I agree dissecting with that. this. And there's an interesting quality to that because it is all about viability. Do you um, think this impeachment, with uh, does this really help Buttigieg? No. It helps I, Biden more. I think it helps the vice president. I think this current spat that we're talking about between Warren and Sanders uh, helps Biden. If you look at, more, more interestingly enough, and, and Morning Consult does a really good job of this, of they asking do. people who their second choice is. Because, you know, you look at Amy Klobuchar, for example, who's running 7 8% in Iowa right now. She's not going to be viable on that first ballot. So where do her folks go? A lot of precincts, maybe Pete Buttigieg isn't oh. going to be vi- uh, viable. Where do his supporters go? Right now, those two are going to Biden. Right now, the second choice for Sanders is okay, Warren. Okay, so this right now the second choice for off, Warren but it's, it's is so, Sanders. So, so if you don't get on the second ballot in these, caucus, if you don't hit fifteen percent on the 15. first ballot, fifteen percent is the viability threshold. In the every viability precinct. threshold. Yes, I don't know if that's a technical term. It's the Kevin Walling viability threshold. All right, threshold. but if so, so all these caucus goers and Des Moines, they're in the gym and water. They go Rhode to their Island, they go to their corners and they and they try to vote. And then if Amy Klobuchar doesn't get if she gets fourteen point five percent, yeah, Which those is still, folks. That's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, and there's that, a lot of people so, running. And Kev, what happens now is we know that raw vote total now for the first time. That's why it's on my radar screen. But if she hits that fourteen percent, those folks have to go elsewhere. And that's where to other corners uh, in terms of uh, Democratic. See, that's support. fascinating. You know, and and I was talking about this actually over the holidays with my with my folks. I mean, you go to Iowa. Can you imagine having to do that with your neighbors down the street from you? Yeah, they love it. They love I it. I know they, they love it, it, but so not seriously. if you don't like your neighbors. That's true. I mean, you know, you don't like your neighbors, and and then it, you know, you got to see them at the the and wild, a lot of, or yeah. the come and go because it's Iowa. But I mean, you know, you gotta. It could be awkward. All right, that is very interesting. So if you're remembering, if you're listening, remember this number: fifteen percent. Is gotta the viability get, threshold? The viability threshold, and you got to get that amount in those caucuses in order to get on the second ballot to determine the winner. And how many ballots do they do? Do we know that? I don't know. Yeah, uh, I think it's just that that first and then second. It's great. It's so anyone who doesn't hit fifteen, they got to go somewhere else. All right. Great job. Siraj Hashmi, you made some headlines because your tweet was on Fox News about Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn was at the Monday Night College Football Championship game, uh, and this was before one of the – never mind. Uh, And (laughs) and it went viral, and it was criticized, and and you tweeted out, quote-unquote, ladies and gentlemen, I regret to inform you that Vince Vaughn is canceled, end quote. So from a serious perspective, you were kidding in your in your right, tweet. Sarcasm. But from but from a serious perspective, from a reporting perspective, what does this illustrate about Big Hollywood and its relationship to this administration? The Vince Vaughn meeting at the game. It, Can't watch a football game with the president. Right. It's one of those. Uh, I mean, cancel culture has sort of taken a toll on society in the sense that even building bridges with the other side of the aisle uh, can lead you to being ostracized from society. Uh, could lead to, say, uh, economic opportunities being uh, pulled away. And all of a sudden, uh, it's just whatever you believe, that's, all, that's, that's become a crime, a social crime. And so 
I was mocking the the scenario of Vince Vaughn possibly being canceled, even though we know he's a right-leaning libertarian who campaigned for Rand Paul in 2016. Uh, yet somehow meeting with the president, exchanging pleasantries is uh, a, a, a reason to cancel. It really is interesting. All right, breaking news, red headline crossing the Bloomberg terminal. Judy Shelton of Virginia as well as Christopher Waller of Missouri, the president has formally announced that he will nominate to the federal to key administration post to the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. Judy Shelton, Judy Shelton of Virginia, has been nominated by President Trump to be a member of the Board of Governors on the Federal Reserve System for the remainder of a 14-year term. And Christopher Waller of Missouri. Also, the president has nominated to be a member of the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System for the remainder of a 14-year term as well. Uh, Judy Shelton, Christopher Waller, I mean, they've been very much in conservative economic circles uh, for the past. I'm just looking at Judy Shelton's uh, background here. She was a staff economist for the National Commission on Economic Growth and Tax Reform from Jack Kemp days. Remember that? So she's a Jack Kemp protege. Judy Shelton to the Fed board. Christopher Waller of Missouri to the Fed board as well. All right. That is not what's on my radar. But what is quickly on my radar is Huawei and whether or not Europe is going to get really sign up for 5G with with China's Huawei uh, and the pressure that the administration is going to be placing on Europe as a result of that. Now that USMCA is done, phase one with China is done. Europe's in the hot seat next. Thank you to Kevin Walling. Thank you to Siraj Hashmi. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You can download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Thank you also to Greta Van Susteren, read her Washington Post op-ed, and Senator Marsha Blackburn. This is Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.